Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Claire. My name is Alex. And in today's episode, we'll be talking to someone very close to home, an alumni of Oxford Brookes University, someone who has been forward thinking and cooking up a variety of ideas of how to make you feel good about the food you eat. Having only started his company less than two years ago, he went on being the UK's first 100% plant-based recipe kit with their main mission to make plant-based cooking more convenient and accessible without costing the earth. So without further ado, let's get grubby. Welcome, Martin. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? It's nice I'm to okay. You. Thank you for coming on the uh, podcast. Um, yeah, so we've given a basic introduction about what Grubby is, but could you actually explain and go into detail about what Grubby is, what it means to you, and why the name Grubby? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So I suppose well, I started working on Grubby a couple of years ago in my kitchen, in my flat. I was working for a catering business at the time in offices. So it was like staff restaurants and all that sort of thing. And I was a business development manager for them. And I sort of had this idea. I was seeing people leave the office, thinking about what to cook. You know, it'd been a long day and they're trying to get home. And, you know, they've either got the option of a kind of expensive takeaway, probably un- unhealthy as well, or, you know, expensive local supermarkets where you're sort of paying, you know, £2 for a bag of kale and stuff like that. And this sort of, you know, premise of me leaving the office in that environment as well, kind of stem the idea of Grubby. And I tried a lot of these subscription services out there myself and wanted to come up with something that was healthy, convenient. And as people left work, they could just grab a recipe kit, take home and cook. So yeah, the, the original idea was actually based in offices and they were sort of impulsive grab and go bags of ingredients that you could pick up as you left work. And then obviously COVID came along and everything changed completely. Everybody left the offices um, and we had to sort of pivot kind of quite quickly and change the whole business to a sort of consumer business and delivering to people's homes. But but yeah, going back to your original question, grubby, what does it mean to me? Well, I mean, it means a lot now. I've been working on it for two years. Yeah, it becomes a, a bit of an obsession, you know, when you're when you're working on it all the time. And but I do I, I do really enjoy it and it's like a really exciting challenge. But the word the word grubby, I think so when we were when we were talking about coming up with a brand, it was all about kind of making something that was fun eye-catching, very bold. And also the word grubby, you know, came from the idea of sort of grubby veg fresh from the ground. So the soil and the earth and that sort of relatability to, you know, being in the garden, just getting a bit mucky and pulling fresh carrots out the ground and things like that. So that was sort of where the name came from. And um, yeah, we wanted something that was quite kind of first gender neutral as well. You know, something that a lot, a lot of people could relate to. So yeah. That's very interesting to hear. And would you say that kind of cooking was always of huge interest to you? And it was just a matter of putting your passion into practice and kind of how did you realize that you could turn this into a business? Yeah, like I suppose, well, I mean, I did, first of all, at Oxford Brooks, I did uh, business and hospitality. So it was a management degree, but it had a real focus towards sort of restaurant and, and hotel industry. And from the age of 16, I, I did my first work experience. Which I don't know if you, you guys did a work experience at school, but we, we had to leave school for a week and go work. Yeah. And um, I I worked in a, in a local restaurant and just sort of got chucked in at the deep end. And somehow I've sort of been in and around food kind of since then. Yeah, so I've, I've kind of, uh, you know, spent a lot of my time in kitchens, but I've never actually been a sort of chef. I've never trained as a chef or anything like that. And, you know, a lot of the time front of house and, and things like that. But as I was growing up, but I have always had that sort of like ongoing passion for food. And that's why I went to study food and hospitality at uni. And 
yeah, when I was in my previous job, I, I did a lot of cooking at home, but never really quite thought that I could do something myself until this sort of niggling feeling kept going of this idea, basically. And the only way I can describe it is like, it was just like this niggling idea that I just felt I wanted to, and it, I just couldn't get rid of it. And, you know, I just, I sort of came to the realization in my previous job, which I was enjoying at the time, you know, I'd basically just regret it if I didn't sort of go for it. And so I just couldn't really kind of ignore that so it's went for it yeah so you kind of just fell into that sort of situation of wanting to start your own company is that the sort of feeling you realized that you had and you went this is what I want to do mm, yeah yeah I mean yeah as I said I think I think it was just that that ongoing feeling of I I, I need to do it and I, I didn't quite know how to go about it so basically I just quit my job because <laughs> that seemed like the easiest thing to do at the time it was probably not necessarily like I hadn't really thought through the ramifications of quitting your job because when you quit your job, you obviously have no income. Um, and uh, at the time, I sort of just went for it and didn't really think about that. But um, I then met a guy who ran another c- a catering business, but more of a startup. So it was like a smaller business than something I was working for. And he basically said to me, he was interested in the idea of Grubby generally, but he was interested in investing. But he said, you can't just come up with an idea without having a job on the side, you know, because this is going to take you a long time to kind of come up with the recipes and you know, develop the whole concept. And he, and he said, you know, come and work for me whilst you're doing that, you know, do a, do a couple of days a week and, and you can work on that on the side. And at the time I sort of thought, well, no, I don't, I don't actually want a job. <laughs> this is the first time I've actually sort of turned down a job. But then he said, no, you, you need to have a job because you need to actually live. Um, and so actually it worked out really well. And, um, for, for sort of nine months or a year, basically, I, I worked I worked for him a couple of days a week, and then the rest of the time, um, I was developing the recipes. You know, having lots of kitchen nightmares in my flat on my own, um, going to the shop, getting ingredients, messing up a recipe, going to the shop again, getting more ingredients. <laughs> um, and but yeah, I was obviously still working. It was it was handy because I also had um their kitchen because they were a catering business, so I had use of their facilities and stuff like that. So. Uh, they they were kind of like um I suppose an incubator in a way um is what you refer to them as business and and that sort of allowed allowed the whole thing to kind of get started and for the, for the idea to get developed so yeah that kind of risk of uh, leaving your job is is a risk that many entrepreneurs take and it's always interesting to hear this would you say that you always had that kind of entrepreneurial drive because these instincts were they seem to come yeah. now. I don't know, actually. Like, I mean, I actually, I definitely wouldn't describe myself as a risk taker in any way. It's kind of like the definition of entrepreneur. Like, I'm actually, I'm actually really risk averse. I think that's, that's probably, probably fair to say. So I don't know. Like, even though that in, inherently in itself is risky, I didn't really see it as risky at the time. It just felt like what I needed to do for my own sort of, you know, mental sanity. <laughs> and that was, but then now I suppose like in day to day, I'm not. You know, I don't take particularly sort of aggressive risks or anything like that. And, and although that is sort of part and parcel of starting a business, but yeah, I don't think I'd necessarily see it as, you know, risky. I think it's still, I think you can still kind of class that as a risk. You left your job without kind of knowing a solid plan. And that's really inspiring because some people are afraid to kind of take that step and take that leap to go on to pursuing something that they're so passionate about. So you, I think you should give yourself credit for that 100%. It is. Thanks. <laughs> So we mentioned briefly about COVID and for many businesses, it's definitely affected them negatively. But for yeah. a business like yours, you're, it seems like you're actually actively encouraging people to stay at home. And do you think this has motivated people to get recipe kits? And has this been evident in Grubby? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the fact is, you know, people are indoors, people are, people are inside and, you know, cooking has become 
much more of a thing at, at home. I, I think in general, cooking has, you know, has grown exponentially. It's the time that people have got, you know, uh, for a lot of people, obviously there's, you know, it's been a terrible situation in the last sort of year and a half, but the, the actual time people have got if they're working at home is more. They haven't got the commute to work back and forth. Um, and they've got a bit of extra time in their day. You know, there's definitely, there's a lot of reports saying that, you know, people are doing a lot more home cooking. The recipe kit industry has, has grown hugely. For us, like, I don't know, like, quite, I mean, obviously we've felt a bit of an, a bit of an impact of, of COVID in that sense. But I mean, we were first off hit with the, the, the sort of office side of things just going completely deep song. You know, that was what the original business was it was a b2b business business to business and you know at the time it, it just felt like nothing was it, it wasn't going to work because obviously everybody left the office and we had these sort of the best way to describe them is almost like vending machines where you basically scan the bag as you left work grab it and, and off you go um so we had those in a few offices when when covid hit and then um obviously very quickly it was like okay we're not going to be selling any of these anymore so and i, I landed back at my mum and dad's in Litchfield after that i was kind of thinking right well, what are we going to do now and then actually met Songy, who also went to Oxford Books. It's actually a bit weird. So Songy went to Oxford Books. We had uh, so our our lead investor Rob Hamilton. He was also an alumni of Oxford Books, and that was a complete by chance meeting. You didn't even know that he went to Oxford Books when I first met him. So yeah, and then we also had a, an intern from Oxford Books over the summer as well. But yeah, so but anyway, go back to the original point. So when when I met Songy, we it was obviously when COVID had first hit in the lockdown, and we we started to do a load of deliveries to the NHS. We just felt like it was the sort of right thing to do. Raised load of money on on just giving um and and started delivering to two local hospitals because Sonny's dad works in the nhs and we sort of had that link because at the time it was weird because you even delivering food for free to hospitals was actually quite difficult because they had so many offers that they couldn't even take all the food so we were fortunate to be able to do it but what that actually allowed us to do was kind of it gave us a bit of a handle on actually how to pack the kit and you know what the operation was because we hadn't even packed you know i was packing before that on my own you know it was just me packing these kits taking them to offices sometimes in ubers sometimes on my bike you know it was a complete net and uh, obviously at the time i was sort of flagging we were much bigger than we were but we weren't uh, and then yeah so uh, then we d- delivered all these kits to the nhs but really got a feel for the operation and it was it was kind of that point that we bodged together a website put the thing together first week when we set it up we had i think it was like six or seven orders which we just cycled ourselves um, and then that went on for a number of weeks where it was me and songy only she was cycling i was cycling and then it got to the point where i needed to drive because we couldn't take them all on the bike and then we got to a point where it just wasn't sustainable to do that anymore and we were like okay we really really need to have like a delivery partner so it was at that point where we spoke to pedal me and um, who we've now still partnered with for all of our London deliveries. So they basically stack up their bike with, amazingly, they can get 70 boxes on one of the trailers wow. on the back of the bike, which is incredible because they're like electric powered pedal bikes, basically. All in you could fit in your backpack, didn't you? So. Yeah, 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 just just a bit. So, so yeah, so we, we partnered with them and then that, that was probably three months we did that form. We're still with them now, but we then needed a solution if we were to expand out of London. So we're now partnered with another career partner outside of London. And that was, that was when we went sort of nationwide just before Christmas. And, you know, the first time we went nationwide, we literally had like three nationwide deliveries and, you know, that's been increasing week on week. So 
we're we're now at over 600 subscribers nationwide you know growing all the time wow, wow. Very, very exciting to hear all of this and it really sounds like you've been on such a journey in the last well 2020 well the last year particularly with grubby but let's just say congratulations on being named in the independence top 11 healthy food subscription boxes because i think that's a, a real great achievement oh, no worries how far would you say you'd like to see the business to go you say you're going nationwide but is that the plan to tackle the whole of the uk yeah i mean definitely it's quite weird actually few weeks back we had our first deliveries up in scotland and you know somebody on instagram posted from up in scotland we're like how did it how did it get up there <laughs> did you like, cycle up there <laughs> <laughs> no i mean we went so for our nationwide ones obviously we're not delivering by bike i would be a little bit tricky but um the idea is in the future that we want to we want our deliveries to be net carbon neutral and the way that we would you know, plan to do that. We've, we've sort of spoken to bike courier partners that in, in key cities, we deliver by bike. So we get the kits to that city. And then obviously you've got to build enough volume in that place to be able to make that work financially. But that is the, the long-term plan amongst various other sorts of sustainability aspects that we're trying to hit. Speaking about all of the produce that you kind of source for Grubby, I think it's really, really cool that you actually support local British producers, basically. It's amazing. But what I want to kind of know is how have you managed to keep this relationship consistent with your sort of suppliers? I mean, a supply chain is something I knew absolutely nothing about. I'm still learning all the time. And, you know, the, the, the guys in the team know probably even more about it than me. But it's one of those things that we, we uh, before Christmas, we partnered with a company called Watts Farm and well it's actually way before that sort of that October time and Watts Farms are a, a UK farming business and they also have a production facility where they, they pack lots of veg into certain portions and whatnot and deliver them out to farm shops as well as a huge part of their business was actually contract catering for that so the company I used to work for one of their bigger clients and obviously their industry has been severely impacted as has lots of elements of the supply chain um, in food so but Watts Farm were a bit of a sort of godsend really they do a huge variety of veg we worked with obviously various other veg suppliers before that but it got to a point where we needed because we were getting things from lots of different places that became really complicated um, and we needed to sort of consolidate it all and that's what so what's farm allowed us to do with our fresh produce so they grow the vast majority of it in the uk obviously you know when it comes to things like avocados and things like that and they don't grow them here but they have links to lots of other farms in, in europe but the vast majority of it does come from the uk um, but then obviously there's uh, so you've got the fresh produce but you've also got the dry produce so you know we, we get things like quinoa from hodney dodd which is a british grown quinoa and yeah various other bits and pieces that all of our tin products are organic but yeah it's been a real sort of be able to source all those products i mean genuinely initially when we started up we were getting things from Ocado, the supermarkets because it just was completely alien and we weren't getting enough we weren't buying enough volume for anybody to even consider us and that is definitely one of the hardest things in the food industry when you're starting up is to actually get anybody to agree to do anything you know when it comes to supply when you're doing such low volumes is really really tricky so they need somebody to take a punt and just say okay, we're going to deliver to these guys on the premise that they, they're going to grow. But if you can't get somebody to sort of back to you in that sense, it can become quite tricky because delivery fees are enormous. But back to the sort of sustainability point, the other sort of angle is packaging that we've sort of been very much trying to get to the bottom of getting packaging that is sustainable. And, you know, the, the aim is that we want to go plastic free you know, by, by 2023. That in itself has been much harder than we perhaps anticipated. It turns out plastic is actually quite good. <laughs> In, in the sense of, you know, how it keeps food fresh and all these different, all these different things that you don't necessarily think about when it comes to compostable materials and 
how that will impact freshness to veg. And yeah, I mean, there's some amazing products and, and things coming out, which yeah, hopefully are going to allow us to, to make that change. I mean, even at the moment, we're, we're packing all of our herbs and compostable packets. Our cardboard is FSC certified that so comes from sustainable forestry. Yeah, there's a number of other sort of elements that, you know, essentially with the whole box is now recyclable, but we want to go sort of uh, one step further than that. That's incredible. I just kind of wanted to touch on to the point of how you kind of found out what supplier produced what, because that's so foreign to me and probably some of our listeners that are potentially thinking of starting their own food company. Mm-hmm. They may not know how to go about researching or finding out how to find these produce. So how did I, you manage to do it? Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the right way and I'm probably not the best person to ask. I mean, I would honestly say Google is your best friend. <laughs> Like it sounds like really obvious, but it does just take a, a lot of time and a lot of, of, of research. Like, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of a couple of examples. Like one was we need, we wanted this particular design of a box that didn't, you didn't have to tape on both sides and um, because it's really labor intensive. And, you know, basically when you get really nerdy about packaging now, when you open a box, you want it to be really, really like pop open and just stay open and that's done. And then, you know, you just need to put tape over the top. And we didn't know who sold this particular design of box that allowed you to do that. And it was called this crash lot box. And we spent ages, literally like, like three weeks, you know, Googling around, just trying to find who the hell supplied this thing. And then we eventually just came across it in some article online. Yeah, that was how we got to the bottom of that one. So. It's, it's a pretty terrible answer, but that, yeah, it's really how we've sort of gone, gone about the process. No trial and error. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How have you also managed to seem, to brand grubby, to seem fun, vibrant, as well as delicious? Because there are many who still believe that when you switch to a plant-based diet, your food is no longer fun. That was like the, probably the biggest aim from the start with i mean obviously you've got the mission read it at the start it's like making it more accessible and convenient without costing the earth and like the accessibility basically i'd describe that as i mean i'm so i'm not a vegan myself you know i'm not not hiding from that at all i eat plant-based food probably about four or five times a week but one thing i found when i started to cook more plant-based food is it is there's a lot of long lists of ingredients a lot of them were things i'd never heard of before and before i started grubby i had no idea what nutritional yeast was and like you know, all these weird, wonderful ingredients. And a lot of people do find it inaccessible for that very reason. That a lot of food blogs and stuff online involve a lot of ingredients. And you're sort of looking at them going, I really have to go and get that from the supermarket. And then when you break it all down, all those ingredients end up costing quite a lot of money. Like basically, the whole premise was that we wanted to make it super simple, not have long lists of ingredients, make every recipe less than five steps, try and make them all within sort of 30 minutes. Or that's, although that's hard when you're roasting certain vegetables, but you know, keep that time really short and and, it's, and also make it really fun. So that's why every recipe comes with a Spotify playlist. We wanted, same as everybody else in the sense of sometimes when you get home from work, the last thing you want to do is cook and you just want to get a takeaway and sit in front of the TV and just chill. But I just wanted to make it something that people look forward to and can sort of switch off. And it's like this time that when you get in the kitchen, you get grubby, it's, it's just fun and it's relaxing and you can just sort of switch off from all this stuff that's going on at the moment. Fair enough. I mean, but also like I feel like the recipe meal kit industry as a whole has has grown rapidly and in, particularly in lockdown, there's many other companies who are doing, you know, build your own pizza from home, build your own burger from yeah, home. Yeah. Ingredient yeah. Would you kind of feel like Grubby was in the right place at the right time or did you in a way see this trend coming? I know it was hard to foresee yeah. 
otherwise, but aside from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, definitely it's loads of meal kits now. It's, it, it is quite a crowded space and it's become more crowded because of COVID. And I think like not just the recipe kit industry, but startups in general, that so many people have been sort of brewing ideas during lockdown that I think there's going to be a massive surge in like new startups across all different industries when we get out of coronavirus but yeah i mean rescue kits you know inherently has been a, it's been a growing market and um, i think that beyond the pandemic it will people's habits have changed quite a bit quite a lot of evidence to suggest that this sort of growth in home cooked eating and healthier eating is going to remain yeah it won't go as steeply as the curve that we saw from last march you know naturally that's it's not going to just keep it growing that aggressively but because people's habits have changed a bit people's mentalities i think have sort of become a bit more you know i don't need to go to the office every day grind out 12 hour days i can do some days from home and i can make more time for myself and my family and cooking and whatever else it is you want to fit into your day and exercising and stuff there is definitely I think I think it will be a, an industry that remains, you know, it's got a, a long staying power. And it was, you know, eight, nine years ago when the likes of HelloFresh, Gusto, Chef, I mean, they were a bit more recent, but they have seen this growth, but they've almost like created a category. So, you know, they've spent huge amounts on TV campaigns and all this sort of thing, which has in itself created an industry. Uh, and now there's lots of sort of smaller players coming to the market. And yeah, 100% like welcome that competition it drives us to be better than them, I suppose. Yeah, I definitely think it's a good thing that's come out of these lockdowns, just the ability for people to make more time for the things that they enjoy. Things like cooking, you know, often people would, ne- would say they never had time for it and now they do. And then the way the businesses are thriving because of that is kind of great to see really. Kind of aside from being totally plant-based, in a market filled with fierce competition, what would you say the Grubby does differently to stand out from the crowd? Good good question. Um, I mean, I suppose there's, there's a few things like one is, you know, we're, we're championing British produce. Like that's what we're trying to do across the boards. But the second is that we're, we're trying to be super sustainable. As I said earlier, it's not as easy as we necessarily first thought. We're doing all sorts of things, but we are definitely more sustainable than others. We don't use plastic insulation, plastic ice pack. Our boxes, you know, about 30 to 40% smaller than, you know, our competitors because of that. And then I suppose the last thing is we, we do feel like the, the grubby experience is more fun. You know, we're, the, the recipes themselves are, are obviously, you know, super simple and Spotify playlist that goes with it and all the, all, all the everything that surrounds it goes without saying really. But the other thing is that we are plant based and we're the first 100% plant based recipe kit um, in the UK, which we do feel is something that for people trying to make that switch to an option that makes it more accessible. So there was a stat that came out that I read the other day that was that about 64% of the UK's population would now describe themselves as flexitarians. It, flexitarians are a very, very loose term. You know, some people could say they're a flexitarian if they have one plant-based meal a week. But thinking of that is that it is now something that has mass appeal and it, it's just giving that option to, to everybody rather than just vegan. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of the Spotify and having your grubby. That just, it's just like, it's having wine and having food. It just goes really well. And it's so smart for me to kind of think of that idea. Wine, wine, that's a very good idea. You get, the, you get wine in our boxes. I the food tastes nicer. Yeah. Obviously, social media has been a great sort of impact on many sort of small businesses Mm. and they use so many different uh, marketing tools to kind of help start up companies that are just beginning. How do you feel like you've utilized these platforms to get towards your target market? Social media, I mean, like with great difficulty, I'm, um, I'm definitely no social media expert at all, built a reasonable following. Growing a social media following is, is really tricky. I mean, we've got, you know, what, roughly 5,000 followers on Instagram. And it's a tricky one to, to develop that understanding of like how certain hashtags and 
tagging certain people and you know how that affects your following and all the different algorithms that Instagram have about you know creating certain types of posts that people are going to like more and share more and save more. I think like people people on social media are like they're very sort of judgmental in a way. They'll either like a post or they won't. It's amazing sort of the difference in the number of likes you'll get from one post to the other just from a certain type of image or a certain type of phrasing in the words that are used. Mm. Um, some will get barely any likes and then others will just sort of so many more than the previous one. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a minefield, um, understanding the best way to grow uh, on social media. But I suppose we're like, you know, in the last year, we've just tried to consistently post sch- scheduling software. So it makes it a bit easier to like previously I'd sort of sit in bed on, on a Saturday morning or whatever and be churning out. <laughs> kind of a, a post for that day but now at least you can do it in like a block of time and have them going out at, at particular times but the one thing that has helped like recently is it's definitely been that like every week we deliver these kits because the great thing is that we, we get like a barrage on a tuesday of, of people posting themselves cooking the dinners and posting the finished dishes and messaging us you know giving us bits of feedback and uh, all that stuff helps because you know it's it's essentially what's called you know user generated content where you can just share it more people are going to see that because it's been posted by somebody else that as we've like since we've actually been live has, has really helped to sort of share it with other people for sure uh, engagement and consistency is definitely key well i think mm-hmm. to be successful on social media yeah kind of finally you said to us that you've moved into your office in hackney and that must have been a real big step and what do you say is next for grubby uh, good question. So yeah, I mean, next we're probably like, obviously we want to grow like in the UK and we're, we're growing at a certain pace at the moment, but like, we're, we're currently, we've just finished uh, putting together uh, an investment debt. So we're going out to, to do a fundraising round very soon. So that's sort of in the, in the short to medium term, the, the next step is to, is to do a fundraising round uh, and then grow the business quicker from there. So, you know, we've, we've obviously got when it, when it's, when you're in a business like ours, which is consumer led business, Technology is a, is a huge, a huge aspect to it. And unfortunately, technology isn't cheap. <laughs> the actual e-commerce side of the business is, is something that we really, really want to improve on. The actual like, experience that customers have when they get grubby is not just the food that they get and the box that they get. And that's obviously been the primary focus is getting the products right. And now we've realized that it's not just about that. It's very much about the tech experience behind the scenes, you know, how customers manage their account, how they can skip weeks, which we obviously you know, make that super simple, um, how they can choose their recipes on a weekly basis, giving them more choice, improving the products like, you know, the kitchen that we're working on new recipes all the time. We're planning on bringing out 10 to 15 a quarter this year. To summarize what's next, it's, it's about like taking the product to the next level and also taking our technology platform and customer experience to the next level. I think that is so important to build on that customer experience. And I feel that that's how you kind of grow Grubby. Would you say that you're going to continue with your sustainability as well? Because you've mentioned briefly that you're trying to work on that. Is there any sort of big plans for that as well? Yeah, I mean, every single aspect of the product is, you know, there's so many bits to work on when it comes to sustainability. So, I mean, our pods for our spice blends are a certain grade of plastic, which biodegrades in under 10 years. That's good, but it's not perfect. We want to get to a point where basically everything in the box besides tins is compostable and obviously tins recyclable. So you know, that's, that's good in itself. 
but we'd love to get to that point. And that is just about, you know, constant research and, and development. But then sustainability, what we've started to realize is that it's not just what the customer sees. A lot of businesses are very focused around what the customer sees, obviously. And that is naturally the sort of first port of call, I suppose, because that is what gets you that positive PR as a result of following a sustainable journey. You know, it is about the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It's small things like when you put a pallet together, you know, with a load of boxes, you know, that's then wrapped in, in plastic. And there's like new materials for that, which is a compostable wrapping. But the customer's never going to see that. There's so many elements to the supply chain that could be more sustainable. And when you see it behind the scenes, the sort of vast amounts of packaging can be there. You don't like keep an eye on it and, and make changes. There's lots of lots of improvements that, that can definitely be made there. But also at the start of this year, we partnered with, with One More Child, which is a, a charity partner in, in Uganda who um, help uh, impoverished children, give them meals and education. That was a charity that came about through Rob Hamilton, who uh, was is our main angel investor, said he was an alumni from Brooks, but he um, introduced me to One More Child. Uh, he and, and one of his businesses supports them as well. And so we basically, since the start of the year, we're donating a meal for every box that gets delivered. So we've already donated over 2,000 meals. And that's that's something that we really want to continue with. And you know, my sort of personal aim is that you know we want to get to at least a million meals donated. Oh, that's really fantastic to hear. It's been so interesting to hear how your business is such a key focus on you know improving the well-being improving people's lives improving the environment it's just such a positive forward-thinking business and yeah i think our listeners will have thoroughly enjoyed hearing from you today and if you can leave us one final word of advice I think it's just, it is just hard work and it is a grind. There's different times that you sort of think, well, is this worth it? Yeah. I think anybody sort of wanting to start a business should just be sort of in the knowledge that it is very, very different to working for somebody else and comes with its own sort of mental challenges. And I would say that there's been periods where definitely really, really hard to switch off. Not still not very good at it now. Go to bed thinking about grubby. I wake up thinking about grubby. It is, I'd say, you know, borderline obsession. It is really addictive as well. The enjoyment. From it is definitely kind of worth it and yeah anybody starting i just say it's just it's a grind it's hard work and just be prepared for that really thank you so much martin for coming on the lost and founded podcast is there anywhere that our audience can find you and grubby yeah, yeah, I actually forgot to mention it, but we're, we've so our, our website is getgrubby.co.uk and we've set up a discount code for all Brooks listeners, which is Brooks12. That means that so they'll be able to get £12 off their first box, which is yeah, the biggest discount we've got out there at the moment. So <laughs> you might try that get, for myself. Go get Grubby. Yeah, yeah. Really a team Brooks down at the Grubby HQ. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Martin. <laughs> Cheers. Since recording this episode, Martin and the Grubby team are planning their first crowdfunding investment campaign, which is due to go live on May 21st. So if you're interested in having a slice of Grubby pie, then please go check it out. This has been the Lost and Founded podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded pod. With new episodes being released every Thursday, you'll be ready to continue taking steps to bring your ideas to life. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences. That's all for now, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, guys.